every woman has a birth story to tell. This podcast is our birth story. The birth story of how each of us became midwives. Our journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor midwife. And each episode, I'll take you on another journey to hear the stories of midwives all across the globe. Listen to each tell the story of their personal journey. Listen to the words of how each was birthed into the field of midwifery and listen to the stories of trials and tribulations along the way and the love and passion each holds for midwifery. Hello, listeners. On today's podcast, we have Anne, who's a certified nurse midwife. So hi, Anne. Give us a little intro. Hi, my name is Ann Conkley. I am a certified nurse midwife and I have uh, practiced as a CNM for 11 years. I just left full-time practice in June of this year and um, I'm currently working um, an owner of a small business where I do life coaching for women. I think that's awesome. We are going to get into that, more questions about that too. But I want to start with um, just telling us what originally made you go into midwifery a long time ago. So I, um, it goes back kind of a long time, actually. Um, I remember being really young and watching like a, I don't know, it was like 60 minutes or something with my parents. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the, um, like our family room, we were watching, I think it was 60 Minutes or Dateline, something like that. But I remember watching a water birth. And I remember the inflatable tub and this um, woman who was birthing and the spouse was there, the midwife was there. And I I don't know even how old I was. I must have been like, I don't know, maybe like five or seven or something. And it left such an impression on me. And I will never forget I mean, I can, I know how I was sitting at our little coffee table, like literally with my eyes glued on um, the TV. And I just was like totally infatuated and in love with birth. And I just, um, that stuck with me for so long. Um, I remember, you know, it was kind of an interesting journey for me in terms of getting into midwifery school. I, um, I didn't know uh, as much probably about midwives. And once I really started to look into it and it really came down to when I was in college and, um, you know, what track I was going to go and, and I had been considering medical school and I just felt it wasn't the right fit for me. And then I discovered midwifery kind of haphazardly and we had such a strong family tradition of nursing. Um, my mom's a nurse, my grandma, my and my cousins, my sister-in-law, like there's tons of nurses in our family. And, um, and it just started to make sense. And so, um, and when I was in high school, I had done my senior project with a midwife and a physician and split time with the two of them and got to catch a set of twins with this doc. And it was so awesome. And it is awesome. Yeah. I was like totally over the moon and I was like, I'll do this. However, I have to, like, I will do this work. That's what I knew. And to me, it was kind of figuring out, you know, which route I wanted to take. And I knew after kind of talking to some people and um, really looking more into medicine, it just wasn't my shtick. And so I, I thought, you know what, um, midwifery seems to be right up my alley. And so I, um, <laughs> interestingly, when I was in college, I was in a psych degree. I was like in a bachelor's of psychology. And um I finished that, had to go back and get an accelerated bachelor's in nursing. Um, and so I completed that. Um, so I did two undergrad programs. And then I started to work on labor and delivery. We did not have any midwives. Our entire staff uh, was not in favor of midwives because there had been a couple there before I was um, at um, at that job. And it just hadn't left a good impression on anybody. So I kept it a little hush-hush um, that I was going to apply to school. And then one of the nurses on L&D was in midwifery school at University of Illinois, Chicago, and she became my mentor. And then one of my other, and they're, she's still good friends today, and then one of my other very close friends to this day um, what started to go back to school for uh, to be a WHMP. And I just knew, like, okay, this is what I'm doing. So, so I went um, and did... Um, 
you know, the program at UIC, the part-time program, and completed the dual program for midwifery and women's health, and came out, got certified, uh, and licensed as both a WHNP and a midwife, and that was in 2008, so. And what, what university was that again? I went to University of Illinois, Chicago. Okay, um, and that's, is that where you practiced? Illinois? I did my master's there. And then when I graduated in 2008, we decided we had been living in Chicago for many years. So I did my undergrad at Loyola University in Chicago, both my undergrad degrees there. I completed my master's degree at UIC. And then um, we at that point were ready to move back to Cleveland. And it just felt like the right time. My husband had, we, I had gotten married. My husband had finished his um, master's, his MBA. And so we took the opportunity to move back to Cleveland, and then I my first job was started, um, uh, I think, at the beginning of 2009 at Kaiser Permanente, and I worked there um, in a role that was essentially designed for a WHMP. They did not want a midwife because, again, they, too, had had this experience of we had a bunch of midwives, and then we canned them all, and so we don't talk about it. So don't say you're a midwife, you know, and which is so goofy. And so I took this position, it was a like a five day a week office. Um, and then after being there for about a year, I was able to negotiate, um, taking call and, you know, working and getting worked into the call schedule, which was great. Um, I practiced at Kaiser for just a little under three years. And then a position became available at uh, University Hospitals, uh, which is a large academic uh, center, medical center here in Cleveland, and I felt like it was the right thing for me. Um, so I made the switch, and then I was there for eight years. So and I, that's where I left uh, practice in June. So I have a couple questions about school, clinical. Um, yeah. Did you have children at the time when you were going through? I did not. I was young. Okay. We had just gotten married. I think I was um, 20. Oh, gosh, 23, maybe when we got married. And then mm -hmm. um, we didn't have kids until, uh, and that was in 2005. We didn't have kids until 2010. So my whole, I, I, all of my initial schooling for, you know, midwifery and nursing was all done with no children. Mm -hmm. And how was your, the practice that you were in the longest, how was your work life and having babies? How was your balance? How was your schedule? Uh, a lot of pump parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, like one, that's like one of the main things I remember is just washing pump parts and like carrying my pump everywhere. I remember even my chair one day was like, oh, I see your pump. And I was like, yep. Like, what's a woman to do? You know, yes, mm -hmm. I'm pumping. Um, and um, but yeah, I. Oh, it's kind of a toughie. I don't know. There were periods where I felt probably like. I was winning in periods where I felt like I wasn't. I guess that's mm -hmm. the best way to say it. Um, there were a lot of ebbs and flows in terms of just growing in my role. I mean, I started off as a um, full scope midwife and over the course of eight years and two children, um, I, um, you know, my role grew significantly at, at UH, which is awesome. And, um, you know, it just, and in the midst of all that, I went back to school again and did an MBA. So wow, like, it was, yeah, it was very full, needless to say. I have a, a very supportive spouse and uh, we had, you know, some really wonderful caregivers, you know, between our families and nannies. And, you know, we just wouldn't have been able to make it work, I think, without like a full complement of, you know, support people around us. Um, it could, it was just too, you know, it's like night call, you know, like, yeah. oh, it's Sunday night, I'm on night call and, you know, and then I'm, you know, post call on Monday night and I'm in bed by eight o'clock and then I don't see the kids and, you know, and then there's a week where you feel like you get a lot of sleep and you're just like, I'm on it, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm making dinners, like I'm, I'm you're not forgetting anything, you know, I'm getting to the daycare on time, I'm not getting charged my dollar a minute because I'm late, you know, and I just, there are like moments of, you know, winning where it feels really good. And then there's just moments where, you know, like I, the one, you know, I'll never forget we missed, um, you know, I got out of clinically one day and missed our, my um, oldest son's like recital at daycare, which was like, you know, uh, you know, winter recital and 
like not, I mean, it's like not the, you know, mm-hmm. not like a huge event, but it was a big event. And it just, yeah. it was one of those like crushing moments where you just thought, ugh, you're like, it's, people talk about having it all. And I don't, I don't know that anybody really does to be quite honest. So. Yeah. Those are the moments that make you question. And I hear this from a lot of midwives that you're putting somebody else's family before your own. Ugh. Yeah, that was, it's interesting in that I did a, um, I did a leadership course um, oh, at this point, maybe five years ago that was offered that I applied to and um, was accepted to. And, um, you know, I remember in the course of like this leadership course, just having this aha moment where I thought, like, I am not, I am giving my all to my patients. And I am not, then I'm coming home at the end of the night and my tank is on like literally close to empty. Like I'm rolling in on fumes. I have no patience. I have, you know, little tolerance because I'm tired, like, you know, chronically sleep deprived as most midwives, I think would agree, you know, that they live in a state of chronic sleep deprivation if they're taking call. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just remember having this moment of being like, why in God's name am I doing this? Like, (laughs) I need to reframe, like I need to refocus because I'm, I'm giving my good stuff to people, to my patients, which is really important though. To me, it felt like it could not be more important than what I could do and give to my family. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit before we get into you leaving practice? How did your role grow and change? You mentioned you were doing more than just midwifery in your practice. Yeah, so we, um, being that we were in a, uh, UH is an academic midwifery practice and a huge division of, of nurse midwives, there's, I think now at this point, 12 midwives, and then a couple of NPs uh, in the group. And it's a, it's a, it's a really good group, um, busy, very, very busy, a high acuity patient population. And when I started, I, um, you know, for the first few years, I really focused on, you know, getting my skill set up to snuff, getting, you know, catching babies, like, you know, just getting my wraps. I had done at that point close to three years of ambulatory care. So I felt like very comfortable with my ambulatory care, but I had done probably only my first three years of practice, like, I don't know, maybe 10 births with Kaiser. It just wasn't a busy practice and I didn't take a ton of call and I had a baby in there. And so, um, so when I got to UH, I really wanted to focus on, you know, getting my reps as a midwife at a high acuity, um, you know, uh, unit. And so that's what I did. And so for the first, I don't know, three, four years, I, um, you know, worked full scope. And then I befriended, um, one of our attendings was the medical director of our um, an ambulatory clinic that was located within the hospital that had really been the main site for residency um, training in the residency programs clinic and their continuity clinic. And she and I had um, such a good relationship and still do to this day. And um, she, we kind of would joke and, and then one day we would joke about like what we could do with that clinic. And having come from Kaiser, I had such um, rich experiences of just how a really well-oiled machine can look in terms of a, um, you know, clinical setting and, you know, what you can do for patients and how you can really optimize the care that you deliver. And so, um, you know, we kind of, this one doc and I joked like, oh, you know, we should like, you know, let's, let's change it up. Like, let's, let's totally tackle, you know, this, this little continuity clinic. And so, I, she was like, you can be my assistant medical director. And so I said, okay. So I wrote it. She was like, write a job description and present it to our chair and let's do it. Like I, I, you know, we'll work together. And so I did. And everybody was like, sounds good, you know, which was not um, something I had anticipated, but I'm a doer and I'm a, um, a person I love like continuous improvement. I love that kind of tinkering with stuff. And so we, my chairman was like, no problem, go ahead. Um, and it, this clinic was not, let's say the prized possession of the department, I guess you could, would be a nice way to say it. So, so I started working with her and then, um, at around that time, we 
our the president of our hospital um, invested in us in a huge way. She totally went to bat for us and went to our you know supporters of UH and rallied to build a new um, ambulatory center for women and children. And so I was just getting into the role of assistant medical director when it became very clear that we were going to move forward with um, designing and building a, a new ambulatory location. And so um, the role kind of quickly morphed into this very like forward looking planning kind of uh, a role in addition to doing kind of the day to day and working with the staff and making sure, you know, there was good kind of communication between you know, providers and, um, and and clinical staff and residents. And so we just went to town on this uh, center in terms of the design. And at, at one point, my the doc I was working with um, left, she retired. And at that point, I was offered the position of uh, medical director. And so I moved into the medical director role. And um, we, over about a three-year period, designed built and opened a 35,000 square foot ambulatory center um, for women and children and um, which just opened about a year ago in July and it opened July 7th of 2018 um, and that was like the, a culminating moment for me so you know I just kept kind of moving um, moving along as the opportunities came which was awesome I mean it was it was so it was amazing. Like it was one of those things I don't think anybody, not many people get to do, which is to, you know, design something and work with people who, um, you know, value kind of, if you are going to sit down and be thoughtful about how you put a space together to really make it better for the community and, you know, that you serve, like, how do you do it in a way that really kind of honors, you know, um, the connection of those people to the community honors the ability to be sustainable and it honors kind of the very um, scary situation we have in Cleveland, which is we have a terrible infant mortality rate specifically for black infants. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, a, a six times higher than it is for white infants. And so, and our center was built right in the, uh, I guess you could say epicenter of um you know, the, some of the highest infant mortality rates um, in the city and in addition in the state of Ohio. So, you know, we had a big um, job to do. And uh, and so, you know, that was like something I had never anticipated. Um, you know, if anybody told me when I first started that role, you know, as just like a, a midwife that I, I would be, you know, a medical director and we would open a clinic and or open a center. I mean, it's crazy. That is huge. Yeah. What an accomplishment. Yeah. It was so awesome. I mean, and you know, it's so cool because I have to, I have to kind of like um, laugh because, you know, we got down to the nitty gritties of like, what does the patient do when she comes in for a visit? Where does she put her stroller and where does she, you know, um, like how does she, you know, do wayfinding? And, and when she comes into the room, where does she perk her stroller and hang her coat? And, you know, just like, I I mean, I, you know, it just to me was like so exciting. And I, it's funny, you know, <laughs> the most exciting thing was that I got to design like where the lube went. And so the lube was next to the gloves and the gloves were right above the trash can, you know, I mean, it's like little yeah. things like this that you just don't like, you know, that, you know, you just don't get to change because we walk into settings that have been designed, you know, oftentimes 15 to 30 years ago um, and not with women's health in mind ever. So That is amazing. Yeah. Did you, that's, was such a huge job. Were you practicing at all clinical during that time? Yeah, my um, I was a point two for my, uh, FTE, so roughly 20% of my time went toward um, uh, medical director, and then I had some additional grant funding. Um, we had a couple of we had a, a tremendous uh, grant support through um, our center and worked really hard to secure some grant dollars, and so I had an additional. Point one of grant funding and then a point one of administrative time that every midwife in our department received. So I was 
0.6 FTE clinical, so 60% clinical, 40% administrative. So I would have, and then by the end, like as I was doing the medical director role, I was not doing as much call. So I was doing maybe, I don't know, one call every, you know, two to three weeks, something like that. Um, and with such a big group, um, and we had in our group two midwives who were, you know, essentially um, laborous and who were so, so good and did a ton of call. And so it lightened the burden or not, I shouldn't say the burden, but it lightened the load in terms of the call for the rest of the, um, you know, midwives in the pool. So for me, it was, it was great. Um, it was a great, great um, setup. Yeah, you have, that is so huge. Mm -hmm. So you're now on to another role. What made you decide to leave that role for this one and share a little bit about what you're doing now? I guess the biggest thing that happened was that I went back to do an MBA. Well, I went back to do a master's in the science of management program at Case. And I, you know, finished the first, this is I graduated in, in just early this year, so in 2019, and I started that program in 2015. And so I started it with under the guise of like, oh, I'm going to go do like management or whatever, and you know, some administrative nursing stuff. And I got to the, it was a um, you know two-year program. I got to the last semester, and, and I just remember sitting in one of my classes, and I was like all these, like, we had hospital execs coming in and, um, you know, consultants, and I just sat there, and I was like, I don't want to do any of this, and I um, talked with my, you know, main program director and at Case, and he was like, you know, you should consider, you know, going, completing a third year for an MBA, and all your credits will transfer, and, you know, you don't have to do any extra classwork, except for completing the um, core work for the MBA students. And so I applied to the MBA program, I got in and I finished that up. And one of the classes I took was um, called Living the Good Life, which I think for anybody who's chronically sleep deprived and like, you know, has like kids running around and, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, who's like, if there's enough milk in the fridge and, you know, who's getting the children from school today. You know, this was, I looked at it and I thought, oh God, this is great. Like, of course I want to live the good life. So I took this shit, this course and it was a course about entrepreneurship. And, um, I all of a sudden got this sense of there was an opportunity to do something different. And there was an opportunity to do something from the hours of 7 30 AM to 3 PM when my kids go to school Monday through Friday and to do something from home. And so I, he had us do um, Clifton Strengths Finder, which if you've ever done is like a, a great, I love it. I actually use it in my program. It's a, um, it's a strengths assessment and um, it's like 35 bucks for the, to get all 34 uh, of your strengths plotted out. And then you can do a basic version for 1999, I think, and all available on their website. And so I did this strengths assessment and I realized some really important things about myself. And I, after doing that, and I, I started to work with a coach because I, I wanted to do this coaching program that was offered through case. And when I started working with a coach, I did the strengths assessment. And then I kind of kept hearing every week about these stories of entrepreneurs around Cleveland who were doing what they wanted to do and kind of taking these ideas and growing them. I was just like, I could totally do something. Um, and I started to figure out that I really wanted to um, design a small business that I could do life coaching for women um, and do it out of the comfort of my own home, offer online group coaching and individual coaching, um, put together some retreats, like do things that felt like it honored, it still served women just in a different way than, you know, than I had been doing for many years as a as a midwife. Um, and so that's where I got. And then, you know, kind of in the course of all that, um, it might, you know, the strain kind of, I think on my family was starting to show in terms of my absence. And, you know, during the time I did my MBA and then also did my, um, you know, that we were building this center, which is a huge, huge, you know, behemoth uh, of a project. Um, you know, my, 
I really had lost some of the connection with my kids in particular. And so I knew it was time to um, really kind of get back to what I wanted to do and, and really kind of understand, like, get, you know, clarity on, like, what are my values? What's really important to me? What is a no-go? Like, absolutely not, you know, that I will eliminate going forward because I just won't do it anymore. Like just those, you know, those kind of showstoppers. And, um, and I, it all just came to kind of this ahead. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I knew I wanted to get our, our center. I wanted to like get us to just about the year mark, you know, kind of off the ground and um, transition to a new leader who would be probably better equipped to do kind of the, you know, like tremendous growth that was needed for, um, you know, for the center where I love, you know, the kind of planning and development and the thinking and the creative process. So, um, but yeah, it, it all, it all kind of came to head. And then I just figured it's time. I'm, I'm ready to, ready to move on into kind of a, you know, a different opportunity. So how did you, obviously you are probably a significant financial contributor to your home. Mm -hmm. How did you make that work going from, because when you start out as an entrepreneur, presumably you're not really making much. Mm -hmm. So how did you, how did that work for you that you were all able to swing that? We, well, you know, um, we had, so once we, it was, it was kind of like, you know, cost became our, our costs became different. My kids got on the bus, like when my youngest got on the bus to go to public school at, um, you know, the age of five, like we, you know, I actually wrote, I have like this little blurb in the New York times that I wrote, um, because we like popped, we popped a bottle of champagne because the day those, like my youngest went to public school, it eliminated the huge cost of daycare. And, you know, we had been paying out the nose for daycare and nannies and, you know, um, just all of this coverage. And that all of a sudden, that kind of, you know, strain was just, it was gone. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. And um, so we we also like paid off both of our cars. Like we had these little kind of moments where our cash flow improved. And, um, and then my husband and I essentially had several conversations. I mean, this was like a process that took many years because I knew kind of, I knew for several years I was headed out and I wanted to do something different. I didn't have clarity on what I wanted to do until probably about, I don't know, maybe six or eight months before I left, if that. And so we had been just kind of, you know, preparing for this. So when I told them I was ready the we vowed to just figure it out um and i'm lucky in that uh, you know i'm not the primary breadwinner um for our family and so we were able to still you know afford to have one person working full time and to have me you know um do something um that was a little bit different and entrepreneurial so in addition to the fact that you know we uh, several of our costs just all of a sudden went went by the wayside because the kids got into public school and mm-hmm. you know and then like stopped using pull-ups I mean it was like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you just feel like like you know there's I just it's one of those things um, yeah diapers yeah Ooh. so how is your your business is fairly new how do you feel yeah. about it? How's the growth so far? It's probably hard to say so early. Yeah, it's good. I um I enjoy it. I enjoy the ability to um you know for many many years I've done you know done what I've been asked to do and um and I'm a doer. I'm a high achieving doer and I'm reliable. So when I'm asked to do things, I do them. And, you know, so I've done a lot of other projects for a lot of people over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years. And I love the fact that I can set my own agenda. I mean, it's like, you know, I I love it. And I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm heavily introverted. So one of the things that I realized, you know, probably when I was in that leadership development class was that, I was trying to fit, um, and I kind of call it like 
my moment where I realized I was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. Like I was never going to see 25 patients in a day and come home feeling energized. Never. It was never going to happen that, um, that that was the case. And I knew that, um, I could like, if I was feeling like my tank was on empty when I came home at night to see my kids and then I had nothing left for the people who were most important to me in my life, it wasn't going to change by, um, you know, cutting down on clinic days and it wasn't going to change by, you know, staying up for, you know, all night to, you know, be in a labor on a prime. Like it just, that wasn't, it wasn't going to change. Um, and I had that realization of if I was ever going to feel like I was in alignment with who I am as an individual, which is that I'm an introverted, creative individual, that I was going to need to exit practice at some point because those two just don't go together. Like one does not, it just, it, for me personally, I guess I should say it did not serve me. Um, and, and I, and I loved it. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I think the more you know, introverts. Um, I love the book, um, Quiet, uh, by Susan Cain. I think it's, it was so, so good to read. It was like this wonderfully, like, um, uh, I don't know. I just felt like accepted and like, I was a legit person, you know, after reading her book about introversion and about the quiet power of introverts and how, you know, we have, um, really good, big powers and we often get lost in a world of extroverts because that's the majority of people out there. And so, um, so I've in this new role, I have, um, realigned with things that are a natural fit to me, which is that I can plow through a project or something I want to do. Um, I can plow through that with, like minimal interruption. I don't have to see anybody. I don't have to like talk to anybody. I can just throw Florence and the Machine on or Lizzo or like whatever. I mean, I have to credit Florence and the Machine because I listened to her, you know, like her on um, Apple Music. I thousands and thousands of like minutes and hours with Florence and the Machine helping me like, you know, get through I don't know, marketing materials for my business or, you know, coming up with a, um, you know, a new design for a program that I'm doing or something. So, but once I really kind of got back and aligned with what I wanted, I found I wasn't so exhausted. Um, and I'm, God, I'm like such a better human now. I mean, it's ridiculous. You have a passion that is in line with you. Yes. So tell me about your business. What's it called? What what do you offer? You're still yeah. serving women, which is what midwives do. You're still yeah. being a midwife, just in a different role. In a different role. And I, I've like, I've kind of struggled with that because I do, I miss some of my patients. You know, I miss my coworkers. I miss my patients. I don't miss the long hours and the sleepless nights, but like I, you know, there are parts of midwifery that I really miss. And I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get over that, but in this new role, yes, I do do something very similar. I, I help women um, and I guide them to reconnect with who they are and what they want. And I designed a um, strengths-based coaching program that helps women really find authenticity and to get realigned and to um, know their strengths so that they can tackle kind of anything, you know, that's going on in their lives, whether it's a promotion or, a, you know, difficult conversations with, um, or different, difficult relationships with spouses or partners or, you know, bosses or whoever. Um, and, um, I currently do, um, one-on-one coaching and then I, I do group coaching because I did for so many years centering pregnancy. Are you familiar with centering? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I love, so it's funny. I have a love hate relationship with, um, centering because when I started, I despised it and I just could not like figure out a flow and it just took me so long. And then once I got a flow and I kind of, um, embraced it again, I found, so much joy in centering. And um, so I designed a group coaching program that's like based off of, you know, kind of a lot of the principles that um, that centering pregnancy has, which is that, you know, it's 
it's kind of peer learning and it's um, using the people and the women around you to support you and to help you through, you know, the process. And in my case, in our coaching sessions, it's more, you know, usually it's not pregnancy, but it's more, you know, targeted toward, you know, if you're trying to, um, you know, get in better shape or you're trying to address a health concern or you're, you know, looking to, um, you know, change jobs or something like that. So, so similar work, just a different, a different uh, environment. So, isn't that cool? How your, you know, yeah. basic midwifery skills have helped you turn this oh, God, into yeah. something else. And we all, you know, it's funny in that we, my one good friend and I used to joke, uh, who's also a midwife, in that we, we were just, you know, life coaches dressed up as midwives, you know, who know how to catch babies. Because I feel like so many of the conversations that I have had over the past 15 years and 11, namely as a midwife, have been around, you know, the very tenants that I will always hold true and always use, which are the, and that are like central to midwifery, which are shared decision, shared decision making um, and, you know, working with women like and working with families. And I, you know, I will always do that work always it's just that's what I was born to do yeah um the setting may change you know kind of here and there but that's just it's just part of who I am you have I love your story (laughs) it's so cool um so you talked a little bit about this but I just want you to kind of touch on through this long journey and your change and in what and your place of practice how did you deal with trauma burnout feeling like you want to quit how did you get through that Oh God. Well, I actually forgot. I mean, part of one of the things that happened is probably like maybe five years ago at this point was that I had a really, really bad shoulder dystocia. And, um, that was the, that was probably the, um, moment or the impetus behind taking a pause to say like, what am I doing? And, um, how am I like, what will do? Will I choose to be in situations like this where I may then experience continued trauma, you know, down the road. Um, and even to think of that shoulder and, you know, we ended up having a very good outcome for both mom and baby, but that it was the most, you know, uh, harrowing like four and a half minutes of my life. And I, oh, so that was one of those moments that I felt like, um, I have to figure out if this is what I want to, you know, continue to do. I just remember thinking, what is wrong with me? Something must be wrong with me. I'm not depressed, but I am not satisfied. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. And, you know, then all of a sudden I remember taking, somebody has like a burnout, you know, quiz or something. And I, took it and I was like oh my god of course I'm I'm like totally in the throes of burnout mm-hmm. and I hadn't I don't think I had realized it and um it that was really really challenging and that that took me a couple like that's probably what instigated this entire thing um was just this you know like sequence of events like that bad shoulder and then all of a sudden I was like what am I doing what you know is this what I'm supposed to be doing for my life do I want to continue to feel you know be in these situations and um and then and then I started looking at like you know advanced degree programs like oh I'll just go to management and like for anybody who's you know listening or curious management sucks (laughs) so and, and I and I have to laugh because um I have had a very limited management role, if any. Um, and, uh, uh, but like, it's, it's, it's not that in my personal opinion, like not all it's cracked up to be. So like, I don't know, somehow I was like, Oh, I'll just go do something administrative or in management, like as if that was an out. And then I, you know, the more work I did as medical director and I was like, Oh, I don't want to do this. This is like t- terribly hard work like but there's a certain kind of individual who likes management and it's definitely not me mm-hmm. um so but <laughs> yeah burnout is real and it is um you know I don't know I mean like right in that time too I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and oh, um, you know help. right fuel to the fire 
Yeah. And, you know, and I like I had multiple thyroid biopsies and, you know, my, we've got a lot of like, like three people, my, my <laughs> three people in my family were diagnosed very quickly with um, Hashimoto's and I was one of them. And, and I don't know, it just, it was like this, you know, huge wake up call to say, what am I doing? You know, is mm-hmm. it, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, which is one of my phrases I use now all the time. You know, when I ask myself when I'm starting trying to make choices or, you know, thinking about things and I'm not coming to an easy decision. I'm, I like, it's, it comes down to is the juice worth the squeeze on that one. And if it's not, it's, you know, time to move on. And if it is, you know, time to kind of put your head down and keep moving. So. What's really funny. And I would think that people listening feel the same way is that your stream of thoughts over the last 15 years has been mine as well. Mm. And so the, I think the takeaway is like, find what works for you. We love what we do at heart, but mm-hmm. for some people being at the bedside forever and ever and ever is what their, what their calling is. And mm-hmm. it, I don't know if you listen to the Dr. Price episode, but she talks a lot about leaving the perineum and making other impacts and changes and mm-hmm. that along with what you know your whole story and your thought process really is what it comes down to for some people mm-hmm. so I, I I'm just having all the feelings with listening to you because it just hit yeah. my heart for me so I'm sure yeah. for other I, listeners too and I don't think we're alone no that's like one of the other kind of key tenets of like that I've that I talk a lot about in, um, you know, my coaching program, which is that you are like, we are not alone in our struggles. And I, one of the reasons that I think, um, my, this program that I've designed, you know, and, and working with a coach can be so useful is for people in the throes of burnout, because I, you know, if you just feel like your head is spinning and you're just dissatisfied and that, that constant, like, like I put up a picture on Instagram and it's really, it's a it's kind of a, you know, it's not a great picture of me, I'll be honest, but it perfectly, you know, describes what I was, which was just pissed, like internally pissed, like all the time. And, and I, I put up a picture and said something like, this is what burnout looks like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, here I am with my kids on the beach, sand between my toes, and I was still just not right. Oh, yeah. You know, and so yeah, I like, I but I, honestly, I don't, I don't think we're alone. I, I think the, you know, as we just, I think as APP or APRNs in general, midwives, I think we get asked to do a lot. I don't think we're necessarily fairly compensated for that all the time. And I think there are a lot of midwives who are practicing, you know, without the benefit of a large group or without someone to advocate for them. And so, you know, they may not have a good state organization that really, you know, make sure that on a lobbying front, they're doing things like advocating for full practice authority and trying to remove, you know, legislation that um, is just, you know, limits the ability of people in that state to get access to good quality healthcare from, you know, APRNs. Yeah. So, but anyways. And I really think anybody in healthcare, I mean, we're speaking specifically to midwives here, but that's really, you can generalize that with healthcare. Because yeah. we give so much all the time. And yeah. then we have families or, or other significant others or whoever. So yeah. I love your story. Um, you've offered a lot of advice. So I'm not sure if I say, do you have any advice for an aspiring midwife? But do you have anything that you would, you would add? No, kind of why you want to get into the practice. And I, I think what I didn't understand um, when I first became a midwife and went back to the program, despite the fact that it felt very in alignment with what I wanted to do, I did not know the extent to which midwifery had evolved and developed and how we have as a profession not given credit toward, you know, granny midwives and black midwives who have been doing midwifery work, um, you know, throughout the United States much longer than we've had a formal midwifery program. And I think it's um, I think it's important that you know your roots kind of when you get into it. And we recognize that, you know, when we are in the face, we are in the midst of a maternal mortality crisis of um, especially for black women. And we have a, you know, in some cities, a really heinous 
infant mortality crisis like we do here in Cleveland for black, again, for black infants. Um, and I think that as we try to become a solution to fixing problems like this, we have to be better about recruiting, you know, midwives of color. And, and we have to be kind of knowledgeable about how we improve our system so that it improves care for all women and not just white birthing women. Um, so I think I don't, I didn't know that when I got into the profession, I've more recently, you know, learned so much and, um, and to, I'll be very honest, but to say that it wasn't an influence and my exit out would be a lie. I mean, it was something that I've kind of thought of, um, many times after leaving practice, but I think it's just important to know your roots and know why you're getting into it and know, you know, who we can serve and who we really need to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I think we're kind of the, you know, the midwives with like less than five years experience. I think it's just, you know, remember that there are people who have gone before you and reach out, you know, there's no, there's no harm in, um, you know, finding a mentor and really, you know, trying to make sure that you, you know, kind of like have somebody to go to in those situations where you get a or you're in the midst of a terrible shoulder and you just want to sit and cry and never practice ever again. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if it, if it weren't for a lot of really good friends who are midwives, um, some of whom are, you know, who were in my group and some outside my group, I would have told and some really fabulous physicians who, I mean, I, you know, we thank God we have like we have a lot of really great physicians in Cleveland Yes. and like, if it were not for the community of birth providers around me, I would have totally crumbled and I would have never emerged from that shoulder. So it was just, it was just so messy um, mm-hmm. for me, for me personally. And so, yeah. you know, I can't, I can't um, say enough that, you know, find a, a mentor and find a group, get together with like a group of midwives regularly and just, you know, kind of like shoot the shit, like just get, get your community in place so that when, you know, it, things kind of take a turn, like you have a community to fall back on. I mean, so. Yeah. And that to just kind of segue on that is some of the reason I'm doing this as well, because if someone said, gosh, I'm a midwife in Cleveland and I know Anne was a midwife in Cleveland, maybe I could reach out to her. And, you know, as just as some guidance or say, hey, whatever, just so you can connect and network with people in your area, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good point. I think, too, it's funny. One of the things, too, um, as I've started to think about, like, business opportunities and how I can continue to serve, one of the things I think I will do down the road is to put together a, you know, a coaching group for um, junior midwives. And, you know, that's a good idea. I, like, I just feel like they're totally left out to dry. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, they get a short, you know, they have their births, they get through school, and then they come on and have usually a very short orientation. We don't have a formal, um, you know, like, year of mentorship, I think that that really goes along, although it varies by practice, but mm-hmm. and then they're totally, you know, like, if you don't have a group to support you or a group around you, or you're in a like small practice of a couple of people and they're always on call. So you don't see them anyways. Oh yes. You know, like who do you go to? So I think that's one of the things I will do down the road is to provide some sort of a space so that, um, you know, the people who invest in a career in midwifery end up being people who stay in that career, you know, and that we kind of give them that support and mentorship and, you know, guidance along the way to get, you know, um, to kind of really influence the system of, you know, what childbirth and women's health is for women. I think that's an amazing idea. So I don't, and I don't think I asked, but tell us your social media things, website, Instagram, okay. all that. So people know how to find you. Perfect. So it's pretty easy. It's Anne Conkley, A-N-N, Conkley, K-O-N-K-O-L-Y, C-N-N. Dot com. That's my website. My Instagram handle is Ann Conkley CNM. I'm on Twitter, Ann Conkley CNM. I'm on Facebook, Ann Conkley CNM. There's a <laughs> pattern here. Yeah. Um, and, and then Pinterest. And Pinterest, I love. Like, I actually wish I knew about Pinterest back when I was in practice because I 
love Pinterest. And I started using it at the end as like a resource, like a, I would pin things for my um, you know patients with breastfeeding issues and like be able to pull up things quickly. But I love Pinterest. And I think it's such an underutilized tool for people in healthcare. I've been um, hearing that. Oh my God, it's great. I, I love it. So I've, um, so I'm on Pinterest, I, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, um, and Conclusana, <laughs> it's the same. I, I've tried yes. to make it easy, you know, uh, so that I'm out there and, um, um, you know, I'm, uh, emails, my email is ann.conkley at gmail.com. It's an easy one. And, um, but I'm always looking for, you know, love to hear kind of like you, like what other people are doing and, um, you know, anybody's interested in collaborating or has any good ideas about like how we can improve, you know, the, uh, like milieu for midwives. I'd love to collaborate and, you know, come up with something. So, yes. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for asking. So, did you see the Meghan Markle? Like, um, I did. Video? Did you see that? And she was like, how sad was that? And then she was like, you know, thank you for asking because nobody's really asked me how I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I just want to say thank you to you because I, it's funny after all these years of like many, many years of doing this work, I don't think I've ever sat down with anybody to talk about it, you know, in this yeah. way. So thank you for listening and yeah. um, sharing, you know, the work that we do in our, in my story in particular. I'm grateful. Yeah, that is exactly, exactly why I'm doing it. No one asks us, so I'm going to share them all. <laughs> thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed hearing Anne's story as much as I enjoyed talking to her. You can check out my website at www.journeytomidwifery.org and find a guest blog post from Anne and hear more about her story. You can also sign up to be interviewed on the website. You can email me through the website and find my ebook on how to do research. So until next time, friends, thank you again for listening.